Uh, Exodus chapter 9 is where we're going to be, continuing through. We got Bibles. Talon's going to bring them up here to the corner, because Talon's awesome, among other things. So if you don't have a Bible, you can come grab one up here. 100% certified COVID free, I promise. Or Ben's making his way around. You need a Bible if you don't have one. Um, grab one of those. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 9. We've been working our way through Exodus for several months now. So we're going to start in verse 13 this morning. If you have a white or a blue Bible that is ours or that you're grabbing right now, it's just like the one I have up here. And it's page 30 is where you're going to be. Left column, page 30, about halfway down is where we're going to start. Um, now, I, I have a couple things before we actually jump into the text. Uh, we took a, a couple weeks of kind of like, not complete detour, but it was Christmas, right? And then we did New Year's, uh, prayer and fasting. And oh, actually, I have one more announcement. This is not Hannah's fault. I found out literally minutes before service. Two weeks from now, we will not be in this building. Uh, I know, I'm sorry. So the company that, you know, we've done this before, right? The management changes. And somewhere a year ago, when we had like a temporary manager, they were like, can we do a wedding on January 24th, a Sunday? And the person was like, yeah, that person didn't know what they were doing. Um, so anyway, we just found out, because the new person who's actually great, her name's Erin, pray for her, right? She was like, I just got here and there's a wedding on the schedule. So we're going to be at the Bing. OK, so you could come in the same spot. We'll just have people at the doors be like, walk that way a block. So the Bing Theater, just a little bit over. We did it once before when the Weed Festival kicked us out. You remember that? That was a great. <laughs> Welcome to church planning. Um, so anyway, that's happening two weeks from now. Um, anyway, back to my text. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus. and. Um, as we've been working through this, we've been talking about kind of major themes that we've had to address as we've gone through this. The first one is that the entire book of Exodus, like kind of zoomed all the way out, is the story of how God is producing a people. Right? We went into this book with just this family of Jacob, 70 people, and we're going to come out of this book with a people of God, a, a people who God considers his people, a people who consider themselves God's people. Um, and so that process is kind of split right in the middle of two parts. There's this redemption, this like uh, redeeming out of bondage, this deliverance portion, and then there's this living that out freedom portion. Right? So it's this deliverance and then worship. It's almost split right in the middle about Exodus chapter 20. There's 40 chapters in the book that you can kind of walk through that. So we're in the deliverance portion okay, of the people of God. What it means to be the people of God. There's a deliverance process, like a coming out of something that is keeping you in bondage. And as we've been working our way through that kind of portion of the scripture of God delivering his people, uh, God started bringing these plagues against the nation of Egypt that was keeping his people in bondage. And he was very specific about why he was bringing the plagues. He said he was doing it so that his people would be brought out and that the people of Egypt would know his name, Yahweh, and that he is God in a way that they didn't understand what a God would be like. So that's kind of where we've been living a lot, right? Like deliverance, right? Doing these plagues in order that his people would come out at the end of it and also that the Egyptians would know that he is God. 
And as we've been watching God reveal himself and expose the error of the Egyptians, there's kind of been three main things that we've been watching or witnessing or, uh, you know, seeing God do. And first is who he is as God, what he's in control of, how he operates, what he can do, like his power. The second one is how he is wildly different than the gods they currently trust in, like, like mind-blowingly different than the gods they currently are worshiping. And then the third is how what they are currently trusting in is wildly insufficient. And so he's kind of been, as he's bringing them out and as he's doing this revealing of himself to the Egyptians, those three things have kind of been revealed over and over and over again. And as he's been kind of camping in that last one for a couple plagues now of revealing the wild insufficiency of the current things they are trusting in, We've used the word system over and over, as in a life system, to understand life not as linear of like, you know, just like we're on our trajectory headed upward, but as a system of interconnected parts where everything is interconnected and one piece affects another piece and what you eat affects your spiritual capacity and what you don't eat, some of you are realizing as we're fasting, affects your spiritual temperament and, and emotions. And all of it's connected. You can't expect to live a life of sin and then show up to church on Sundays and those two things have nothing to do with one another. Life is an interconnected system. And so what he's been exposing in the Egyptian life is a bad system, a broken system, a corrupt system. So all these ideas and purposes are kind of being worked simultaneously. God is producing a people who are his people by delivering his people from slavery while revealing himself to the Egyptians, revealing who he is, how he's different from what they currently trust in, and how they are currently living in a bad and broken system. So the general direction of all of this is God has been drawing himself closer to the Egyptians. And that might surprise you because most people who read this are like the Egyptians are the, op the objects of God's wrath. But he's actually been moving closer to them, right? If you're standing, right? God's doing this and getting closer. Every single time he does a plague or a miracle or a sign, he's been moving in and closer to the Egyptians and the Hebrews as well. But I, I point that out because there's sometimes a misunderstanding about the Christian life and how we actually do this thing and how we actually live it. And a lot of times we think of it as like a, a driver's license test, right? Who remembers all the stuff on the driver's license test? Nobody, right? Unless you're 15, right? You remember all that. Good for you so we don't die. But, right, we take the driver's license test and we remember the distances and the rules and all that stuff. And then after you get the license, you forget all of it and just do what everybody else does. Right? And that's how people treat Christianity. It's like, oh, when, there, when I was giving my life over to the Lord, or when God was like kind of changing my heart, there was a lot of like heavy lifting and spiritual activity going on, and like repenting and like life change. And then after I kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. Then God just kind of left me alone. It's like, be a good person and figure it out. It's like, but that's not in the scriptures. Now you can look all you want. That's not how God works. God is always moving towards and closer to his people. I'm just telling you, I can't find anywhere in the Bible the idea that God saves a person and then just leaves them. And it's like, hey, do as best you can. Be a good person. See you later. We'll catch you in heaven. Right? And the sad truth is most of the people in churches, this is not their experience. Most People had enough of God to make them feel good about themselves. And then they hit cruise control 
and they just try and be a good enough person to kind of not mess their conscience up too bad for the rest of their life. But that's not how we see God working in scripture. We always see God drawing closer to people, continually moving closer to them, going deeper with them, turning over new areas of sanctification and growth, healing old wounds, renewing spirits, setting people free in areas they thought they'd never know freedom from. That's the way God always works in the scriptures. And so when we watch that today, we're going to see God take another step closer to Pharaoh, which might surprise you a little bit. But let's jump in. Exodus chapter 9, starting at verse 13. Here we go. Page 30 again, if you have a wider blue Bible that we gave you. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my own hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Okay, so the tone has definitely changed here. If you've been with us before, right, God's like, I've been bringing plagues against the country, against the people, against the nation of Egypt. You will know when the plague comes upon the land, right? He's used that type of language. And now he changes and he says, I'm going to bring all my plagues on you yourself, Pharaoh, on your servants, on your people. They're not just the people of Egypt anymore. They're your people. Pharaoh, you're responsible for what's happening to them. I'm going to bring this plague on you and all that is yours. And he says, this last set of plagues is going to come on you yourself and your people. And I have raised you up so that that would be so. So, so he's raised Pharaoh up intentionally to send these plagues on Pharaoh. Now, got a lot more personal, didn't it? Like you read that and you're like, Ooh, ouch, like this seems like a God Pharaoh thing, not just like a God Egypt thing or a God Hebrew thing or a God injustice thing or a God bondage thing. It's like God Pharaoh, very specific. It's almost like God is saying, this is between you and me, Pharaoh. It's not Pharaoh as the political leader or head of a corrupt nation or a broken system. God is actually going to address the heart of Pharaoh, not just his leadership strategies or political policy or corrupt systems. And so God gives us the reason for why he's doing it like this. Okay. Now, if you're reading your Bible and God says why he's doing what he's doing, you should pay attention to that. It seems simple, right? But sometimes we're like, people are like, I don't know. I read my Bible. I don't know where to start. Well, if God says, this is why I'm doing this, that's a great place to start, right? When he tells us the why behind the what, we should all pay attention. If you read words like so that or because of this or for this reason, those are all really good portions of God's word to pay really close attention to. So here in verse 15, God says, I could have just wiped you out. I could have just snapped my fingers. Pharaoh would have ceased to exist. We all would have been like, where'd Pharaoh go? I don't know. But he didn't do that. Egypt could have been gone. Didn't have to be 10 plagues. Didn't have to be one plague. Could have just been like, Whoo! and they were gone. But he didn't. He raised Pharaoh up specifically, verse 16, so that God's power would be made known and his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Did you see that in verse 16? It seems that it's really important to God that his power is known and his name is proclaimed. 
It's really important to God that his power is known and his name is proclaimed. Why? Is God insecure? I want everybody to know how tough I am. That seems like an insecure thing to say, God. Right? People who are like, look how great I am, are usually very insecure people. Does God need people to stroke his ego? You're so powerful, God. We love you so much. Does that make him feel better to have people tell him he's powerful? No, no, that's not it at all. God has in the past and is going to, in the future, spend a lot of time making incredible promises to his people. Incredible promises. But we all know that a promise is only as good as its source, right? We all have those people who we, they say something to us and we know they're not going to follow through. They're like not follow through people, right? And so they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be there. And you're like, yeah, you are, right? <laughs> like, I'm your friend. You always say that. You never show up. Or I'm going to do this. And you're like, okay, right? You, the promise is only as good as the character of the person giving you a promise. So when God wants his power to be made known, it's so that when he gives a promise, we go, whoa. Whoa, that's the God who came through in a way that we never thought he'd come through in that way. That's, that's a God who made a way when there was no way. That's the God who delivered a people who had done nothing for him. That's a God who heard the cries of his oppressed people. That's a God who brought them out of bondage before they ever followed one rule to honor or love or obey him. Like, so when he has his power made known, it's not just so you'll go, oh God, you're so cool. It's so that when he makes a promise, you give it the appropriate understanding and weight. It's important that God's power is made known so that his promises carry the correct weight in your heart. That's why he wants his power to be made known. It's like a dad who's like, hey, son, I can do this. Trust me. Right? If, you, if, you know, if it was just a random stranger on the street coming up to a kid, it's like, trust me. It's like, stranger danger, run, right? But if it's your dad who you lived with and you believe in and you've seen come through before, then you actually trust him. That's why God wants to make his power known in this situation. And it's also important to God, not only that his power is made known, but that his name is proclaimed in all the earth. Now, we did a deep dive of this in our study of Exodus chapter 6. So if you want to check out Exodus chapter 6, if you weren't with us, that's fine. I'll do a shorter summary here. God has a name, and not only does he have a name, he wants you to know his name. Okay, and I won't go into all the details here, but as best we can guess, the name of God is Yahweh. That's what I'm going to use here if you're like, Bible college student, you're like, actually, it's a tetragrammaton on the Hebrew. Okay, got it. Cool. Good for you. We're going to go with Yahweh and move on. And why that's important is because names are a one-word summary of the truest thing about you to those who actually know you. Okay? That's what your name means. Your name is like a summary of the entirety of who you are to those who actually know you. Titles are different. Titles are different than names. Titles can mean anything you want, right? So when we call him the big guy upstairs, like what does that mean? It means whatever you want it to mean, right? Yeah, you know me, me and the big guy upstairs, we're good. It's like, what does that mean? Well, he's kind of always in a good mood and he likes the same things I like and he never gets mad at me and he's just really jovial and happy with how I've turned out and like when I die, we're just gonna have a beer together and figure it out. It's like, weird. Yeah, that's the big guy upstairs. Like, I don't think that's the God who really exists. Oh, yeah. You know that, 
I'm not doing the soapbox here, but like that type of God agrees with you about everything, right? He likes the same things I like. He thinks the same things about politics that I like. He has the same structure of like corruption. He, he's like okay with what I'm okay with and not okay with what I'm okay with. And he likes the same type of church services, likes to be worshiped in the same way that I like to worship, right? Like all the things that we think that God, the big guy upstairs, the title agrees with us. But when we use a name, Names are not general. Names are not subjective. Names are specific, right? When you say the word Megan to me, it's not just a picture of a wife I have somewhere in my mind. It's the wife I actually have, right? It's the wife I actually know what she looks like and know if she's happy or sad and know what brings her joy and know what makes her heart full and know what means things to her and, and how she expresses displeasure and knows, like, like the personality that she expresses when she's having a hard day. Like I know all those things about her because she's Megan. She's just not this picture of like whatever I made up in my mind. Like there's a girl sleeping next to me in my bed and she's real and she has a name and she exists. And that's what God, when he gives you his name, it's like a reminder. Yahweh is the God who actually exists, not the God, the version of God you have made up in your head that agrees with you on everything, okay? And when Yahweh proclaims his name in the earth, it's a reminder. It's a reminder to all the people. I'm the God who really is. I'm not the God you think should exist. I'm not the God you think should think like you. I'm the God who really is, Yahweh. And when he says, I desire that my name is proclaimed in all the earth, it's a desire that you know Yahweh. The one who created the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh day. Yahweh, the God who created men or who counted men righteous when they believed in him, not because they earned his favor. Yahweh, the God who hears his people's cry in bondage in Exodus chapter 2, sees the tears of their pain. Yahweh, the God who worked on behalf of his people before they ever did one single thing to earn his favor. Yahweh, the God who called us to deny ourselves to find true life. Yahweh, the God who loves sacrificially and whose goodness and kindness know no bounds. Even in our story, Yahweh is the God who protects his people and those who trust in him, not because they deserve his mercy, but because he is in his character merciful. So, this is why Yahweh is going about things the way he is, so that his power is made known, so that his promises are understood correctly, and his name and character are known throughout the earth as Yahweh, the God who actually is, as opposed to the God we think should be. So why he's doing what he's doing, but why is he coming against Pharaoh? Like, if that's why he's doing what he's doing, good, but why are you taking it out on Pharaoh? What's his problem with Pharaoh? Let's look at verse 17. He'll tell us. Beginning of verse 17. Talking to Pharaoh now. He says, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. He said, I could have snapped my fingers and wiped you out. I didn't. I raised you up so that my power would be known in the earth, that my name would be proclaimed because you are exalting yourself, Pharaoh. Here's the problem with Pharaoh. He cannot and will not stop intending to exalt himself. And, and this is manifested in the action of not letting the people go, but it's a heart condition, right? The problem is not just that Pharaoh won't let the people go. The problem is that Pharaoh's heart is set on self-exaltation, and it's resulting in him not letting the people go. 
And so, yes, Yahweh wants Pharaoh to let the people go. But more than that, the problem is Pharaoh is completely set in his heart on self-exaltation. And this is not just a condemnation of Pharaoh. It's a condemnation against any life system, any type of person that values and pursues self-exaltation. Yahweh is doing what he's doing the way he's doing it so that the world will know the outcome of a heart that is determined to exalt itself. Okay? Self-exaltation is a problem if you didn't know that. Now, I know that's completely contrary to everything our culture would tell you about how to live your life. But in the kingdom of God, self-exaltation and the pursuit of self-exaltation, it leads to death. That's what Jesus tells us. Self-exaltation leads to death. There's no denying of self. There's no seeking first the kingdom of God. There's no freedom that leads to life abundantly. The need for self-exaltation is a cancer. It's bondage. It's a problem. And it's a problem for everybody, not just people inside or outside the church. Everybody struggles with the temptation to exalt themselves. Okay? It would be really easy for us to read this passage and be like, yeah, those losers that don't go to church, self-exalting, sinners. Truth is, there's a lot of people inside the church who are determined to self-exalt themselves. All people need to understand that the temptation for self-exaltation lives in them. In fact, there's this crazy story that Jesus tells. He says at the end of time, right, there's going to be people who come to God. And they're going to be like, God, we did all sorts of stuff for you. We went on missions trips. We went to church all the time. We even volunteered a little bit. We gave our money to the poor. We did some miracles. We cast out some demons. Tim Tebow was our favorite athlete. We bought Steph Curry's because one time he said a prayer before the game, right? We did all the stuff you told us to. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I think a very fair summary of that conversation would be, yeah, you did all that, but you didn't do it to draw closer to me. You did it to exalt yourself. And when you start using God's name to exalt yourself, okay, that's another level of like warning. I think it would be a really accurate rephrase of that for God to say, hey, you did all that because it made you feel better about you because it was your comfort zone. Right? Because it, it helped your conscience so you could sleep at night. But you had no intention of actually drawing near to me and doing what I was calling you to do. There's that passage in the Old Testament where people are like giving all their money. And he's like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've been telling you to be nice to one another. And you keep giving me your money. Now give your money too, right? Todd Box in the back. But be nice <laughs> to each other too. Right? There's, there's, there's things God is calling his people to do to draw near to him and understand him as Yahweh that they aren't doing. And they'd rather do the comfortable thing instead. That's the same heart of self-exaltation that Pharaoh is struggling with right here. So that's why Yahweh is making an example of Pharaoh, because of his self-exaltation. Now, let's look at what he actually does to reveal that. Verse 18, behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field safe from shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Now, this is interesting. How does Yahweh go about exposing his self-exalting heart of Pharaoh? How does he do that? He gives them an instruction. Hail's coming. 
If you don't want everything in the field to die, bring it inside. So now what happens is God just forced Pharaoh's hand. Either he defiantly leaves his servants and livestock in the field, or even if he's indifferent, like, I ain't doing that, right? They're going to die. Or he could humble himself and bring them in and listen to the instruction of the Lord, right? That's why God gives his word, right? God does this all the time. He gives his word, and the word actually reveals the conditions of our hearts, it exposes what's going on inside of us. It says a lot more about us than it does about him. So now what happens is God gives his word. It reveals the condition of our hearts. And if we're defiant or even indifferent, like, yeah, probably not, right? We'll reap the consequences of that. And, and, and most people do that because they would rather continue on this comfortable path of self-exaltation rather than humble themselves and submit to Yahweh. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, People don't like to be told what to do. I know this because I don't like to be told what to do. If you just show up and start telling people what to do, you're not going to make any friends. Do this. Stop doing that. Why'd you do it like that? What are you talking about? I can't believe you did that. Do it this way, right? Not a way to make friends. Nobody's going to respond well to that. Part of the reason is because everybody is born with this bent towards self-exaltation. So when Yahweh gives us his word, and there are instructions in it and commands and those not to earn favor with Yahweh. God already loves us, okay? We're not trying to earn our way into heaven by the instructions and commands in here. We're not like, oh, I wonder how if I can get a, a corner suite with a window, right? Like, that's not why we're doing this, okay? It's to reveal the heart. When the word of God comes forth, then your heart has a response to consider, it's very similar to fasting. We're spending 12 days of prayer and fasting to start the new year as a church. Fasting doesn't earn us any points with God, but it does expose some stuff that's going on in our hearts. It does expose some stuff that we should know about ourselves and build some really healthy heart postures into our lives. And that's what the word of God does. Some people, when they hear it, are defiant, like fair. I'm not doing that. Like you, I'll show you. You think you're going to tell me? Like, okay, you could be that way. Some people are really indifferent. Like, eh, probably not. Not doing that. Right? Some people will accept only the parts that they agree with. I was talking with somebody about this last night. It's like, oh, I like this. Oh, I like that part too. Oh, I don't like that. You can keep that. Right? And so you're going through the word of God and you're like, I like page 4, 8, 22. Ooh, that makes me feel good about myself. 103. Right? And then you're like, but this is uncomfortable. That's hard to believe. I don't know about that one. And then you reject the rest of it. You're like, I'll take this much of what you have to offer me, God, and then you can keep that stuff because I think you're wrong. Right? Imagine that on your wedding day. Right? Like, I got some vows. I love this, that, that, that. and then this part of you kind of sucks, and I don't believe you're right on this. Right? Anybody's in relationship for that? Any wives signing up for that? No, but we seem fine doing it to God. We're like, man, most of what you think is stupid. Okay, so people do that, right? They hear the word of God. They take half of it. They leave the other half. But then there's another type of person who receives all of it and prays for the grace to receive the difficult portions, has the heart posture of whatever I need to do, just tell me to do it. Whatever you call me to do. I know the end of the road of self-exaltation. I've walked that road long enough to know there's nothing there for me. What do you call me to do, Lord? Receive God's word. And look at what happens next in verse 20. It says, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh 
hurried his slaves and livestock into his houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven so that we hail in the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field and on the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. That's lightning. And the Lord rained hail upon the earth in the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail. Such had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only on the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, where there was there no hail. So we start in verse 20. It says, whoever feared the word of the Lord did something. Hey, now, what do we have here? We have people trusting in the word of Yahweh and being saved. That's pretty great, right? While Pharaoh continued with his hard heart of self-exaltation and reaped the consequences of that, and here's what just happened. Not only did Pharaoh bear the consequences, but the people whose life system involved listening to and following Pharaoh also bore those consequences. Do you see that? We talked earlier about the idea of exposing a bad and broken life system. Well, Pharaoh's life system that is comfortable with self-exaltation is producing some pretty terrible results right now. And also, so are the people whose life system involves listening to and following Pharaoh. We haven't talked about this before, but the Egyptian culture believed that Pharaoh was not just a man, but actually was a god was actually a god sent from the underworld in order to rule and organize mankind. So the Egyptian people considered Pharaoh a god, and Pharaoh himself considered himself a god. So in some sense, for the Egyptians at least, like I know, I know Yahweh is the one true god, and he's like, I mean, up here and everybody else is not, but in the Egyptians' eyes, this is Yahweh God and his people versus Pharaoh God and his people. You see that? In their mind, this is like mano y mano, like God versus God and people versus people. The problem is we're six plagues in and Pharaoh can't protect his people. Right? If we're doing, if we're viewing this from the Egyptian perspective of like Yahweh God versus Pharaoh God, Pharaoh God really sucks. Like he's not good at this. Right? Yahweh keeps controlling all these things like the Nile River and the insects and the weather, and Pharaoh can't control any of it. Right? That's a problem. Right? If your God can't control anything, has no capability to make a difference in anything. And that's what's been happening over and over and over. And then we got to the fourth plague, and God, Yahweh, stepped it up a notch, and he's like, not only am I going to control these things, I'm going to save my people from the consequences of this plague. Right? So he made a difference. He said, in the land of Goshen, where my people live, no plague. Egyptian, plague. So not only is God in control, now he's saving certain people of the things that he controls, saving his people out of the earth in the things that he is controlling. And now we get to this plague, and it's another step where Yahweh is not just saving his people, he's saving Pharaoh's people. I'm not going to do it because it's expensive. But, <laughs> like, that's impressive. 
That's impressive that God, Yahweh God, is not just saving his people, not just in control like Pharaoh could never be in control, not just saving like Pharaoh could never save, but now Yahweh is saving Pharaoh's people. As they're told in verse 20, the people who listened, the servants of Pharaoh, they were like, I don't know if you guys heard, but Yahweh's about to bring some hail. Let's get inside, right? So Pharaoh's like, stay out there. And other people are like, nope, let's go. And they came inside, and they were saved by the hand of Yahweh. Remember when God said, I'm sending these plagues on you and your people? Now there's this public recognition that Pharaoh cannot control things that would protect his own people, let alone save his people from these things. And now Yahweh is doing what Pharaoh could not in saving Pharaoh's people. It's a powerful picture of nobody being beyond the mighty hand of Yahweh to save. Nobody. It, later on in the Bible, it's going to say, God can save to the uttermost. You could be in the land of Egypt, living in the broken culture and systems of Egypt, living under a corrupt leader who is oppressing people and, and living completely ungodly, all about self-exaltation. And if you choose to receive and respond to the word of God, salvation comes. Incredible picture. Incredible gift. For Egyptians who had not spent one moment of their life doing anything for Yahweh God. Think about that. Not one moment of their life spent doing any, like they didn't memorize the Ten Commandments, right? They're not memorizing John 3.16. They don't have any of this. We went to Bible school when we were two, right? Like I went to a youth camp once, and they nailed it to the cross, and the fire it was awesome, right? None of that. These people just hear the word of the Lord and respond and understand the blessing and goodness and the salvation of Yahweh. The only thing then keeping you from the salvation of Yahweh would be a refusal to give up your self-exaltation, a refusal to humble yourself, a refusal to submit to the God who offered you salvation. Let's finish the chapter. Verse 27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord your God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses." I know people read this and they're like, yeah, right. He wouldn't change his mind like 10 times. I was like, do you know people? People change their mind 10 times all the time, right? Like, I remember, I have friends. They're like, I love him. I hate him. I love him. I hate him, right? He's the worst. I can't believe I ever fell for his lies. We're getting married, right? Like, six months, like, constantly. You have things in your life that you've changed your mind 10 times about easily, Right? The whole process of these 10 plagues took about three months. You have changed your mind 10 times about things in three months, I promise you. You all have. Okay? It just looks stupid when you write it down over the course of four chapters and you're like, man, that's you, man. That's you. And yes, it looks stupid when you write it all down close to one another because we are irrational. We do dumb things. This happens. People change their minds about things all the time. Good job. You got it. 
People change their minds all the time. Like, oh, I was going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. That's Pharaoh just being what he is, a human. And what we're going to see is it gets worse the longer you resist what the Lord's putting in your heart to do. It doesn't get better. When the Lord's putting something on your heart, you're like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Your emotional swings between like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. They get worse. They get way worse. It doesn't get better. You don't get like closer to making the right decision. You get further away. OK, that's a sermon for another day. We'll do it next time. But the interesting thing, and here's where I'll finish. Pharaoh says a lot of right stuff here. Right? When we started, Pharaoh was like, who's Yahweh? I don't believe in Yahweh. Now he like believes in Yahweh. Not only that, but earlier he was like, I'm not doing that. Now he's like, I've sinned. I'm wrong. You're right. He feels bad for what he did. He acknowledges that Yahweh exists. He asked Moses to pray for him. Like, there's a lot of right stuff here. But Moses looks at him and he says, hey, I know you still don't fear the Lord. Because you know what's missing? There's no asking for forgiveness in here. Did you realize that? He never says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Lots of people come to church, they feel bad, and they think that's, that's all that's required. Required is the wrong word, because there's not like a requirement to get into heaven. But I'm just telling you, if all it is is like, I know what I did, I know what I should have done, I feel bad for it. Like, yeah, that's not what God, that's not from the spirit. That's from Satan, right? It's called guilt. It's not going to get you into heaven, OK? But if you receive the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of your sin that God is offering, then we're cooking with fire. Now we're getting somewhere, OK? When you actually take the step of repentance and say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me which Pharaoh never does. Pharaoh never asks for forgiveness. And Pharaoh never takes any steps of repentance. Right? So he never asks for forgiveness. He never does anything in his life that would show he's walking in a different direction. He feels really bad. He says he believes in God. I believe in God. I feel really bad. I know what I should have done. I didn't do it. And Moses said, yeah, you're not there yet. You're still not there. Those two really powerful pictures. I realize I'm five minutes over. I'm going to finish right now. Two really powerful ways God draws close to the people in this passage. Remember we said God moving closer to people, like getting all up in your business? I don't know if people say that anymore. Like I hung out with college kids last night and made me aware of how old I am, right? So maybe the thing that I just said was like 20 years ago, and there's only old people that realize it. But like God is getting closer to you. He's not just going to leave you alone. He's going to take steps towards you. He's going to reveal things in your heart and life system that are broken. And as he draws close to people, there's two really powerful things we learn from this passage. He draws close to Pharaoh and reveals this hard, self-exalting heart that refuses to do the things he knows he should do, refuses to surrender, refuses to humble himself before Yahweh, refuses to admit he was wrong, refuses to take steps of repentance. And then on the other side, we have the name of Yahweh being made known in the earth. The Yahweh who has the power to save and forgive. The Yahweh who shows mercy to those who surrender to his word. The Yahweh who hears the cries of his people will bring nations to ruin on their behalf. The Yahweh who breaks bondage of sin, sets people free. Yahweh who loves his people while they were yet sinners, before they ever did one single thing for him. The Yahweh who works good for his people because his nature is merciful and gracious. And that's the Yahweh God whose name we make known in all the earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, you can come on up as we finish. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and how it reveals to us, Lord, uh, not only the condition of our hearts, but reminds us of your nature and how good you are, Lord.
And Father, we're just going to spend a couple moments right now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds just kind of on your own to process, Lord, to invite the Holy Spirit to do some work in your heart, maybe reveal some area of your life where you're self-exalting, where you're resisting the Spirit of God, where you've been defiant against or, or even indifferent towards. Just, I'm not doing that. Or maybe there's just some hurting people here this morning, people who are wounded and broken and at the end. And God just wants to remind you of his love this morning, remind you of his grace, remind you that if you take that step of surrender, he is running towards you as a father who loves their prodigal son. Be with your people now. We ask you in your name. Amen.